Hi, welcome back to Hardly Flowering. It's me, Catherine, and today's episode is going to be about achieving peace of heart, which, as you saw, is the title of this episode, and it is also the title of a book, which is the inspiration for today's topic. So um, today we are going to be talking a bit about the book, we're going to be bringing Thomas Aquinas into it, as usual, and then we're also going to be getting my personal take on all of the above. This book was published in 1954, so it's old, and there's components to that which I'm going to bring up later because they're relevant for my interpretation. Um, and it's written by Father Arala. He was a Jesuit who was publishing it in 1954. I don't know that much about his life, but basically he was a priest who was doing a lot of work, and at some point he suffered a breakdown um, mentally, spiritually. He just could not take all the things that life was throwing his way, I guess is how we would express it, express it these days. Um, and so he was sent to one of the Jesuit houses, and while he was there, he was working with some of the other priests and with a psychiatrist to heal and to kind of get back on his feet and get his mind back in order. And this book largely comes out of that experience, and he references it a lot, um, which means that the book is influenced not only by, you know, his job as a priest and Catholic theology and the church teaching, but also by his personal experiences and the teachings of this psychiatrist who he was seeing and how he brought all of those elements together to achieve peace of heart, as the title says. So that all plays into this. And what I will say before we go into the book, kind of breaking it down, my key takeaways slash fun facts, um, because this book was written a long time ago, obviously the study of psychology, the study of the brain, um, and the study of, um, you know, mental health in general has progressed and changed in a lot of ways. So I would encourage you to read the book. I think it's an amazing book and it was recommended to me by a wonderful priest who just looked at me and knew I needed it, but that's not a story for this podcast. Um, but in that book, there is a lot of the psychology that's kind of of its time. So bear that in mind while you're reading it. A lot of the terms are just weird and they talk about like electricity waves, which kind of actually turned out to be verified by modern science, but not at all in the way they've said it. So just bear that in mind while you're reading it. But I'm going to be focusing more on the sort of spiritual and technique side of things, which I've found super helpful. So let's start with Father Arala's introduction, um, and he he says, <laughs> I'm going to try and open the book up here because I don't want to misquote him because it was really beautiful and I chose it on purpose with that in mind. Where did it go? Hang on. Oh, here it is. Okay, so in he writes a preface at the beginning of the book, and in the preface he just gives the main reason for the book, pretty much everything that I just told you already, that summary. But he says, um, and this is 
from his book, everywhere we seem to have a thousand harrying details to attend to, and we find it harder and harder to live within the framework of 24 hours. All this exerts a fearful pressure on our interior life, so great a pressure indeed that to many of us, our personal lives seem little more than one minor explosion after another. So those two sentences in the preface really were what hooked me into the book. That's what spoke to me. And because it it is the way that we're experiencing life, and people say this all the time in various ways, but everything's broken down, you know, everything's shorter and faster, and there's more things that you're supposed to do and more places you're supposed to be, or at least it feels that way. And so you feel your life and your mental ability becoming fragmented every everyone wants a little piece of you every little piece of you is supposed to be somewhere else you're supposed to be a different way all the time and there are so many different places in which you need to put your life and your energy and it is a very disunifying feeling so after he goes into that introduction for quite a bit and of course he does the usual like lamenting of oh people didn't used to be this way but again this is 1954 so people have always been saying this i don't know my it does i it's never seemed to me very helpful to just talk about how much better things were whether or not that's true is always arguable but the main point is to achieve peace of heart for yourself and so father arala goes on in his introductory chapters to talk about the mind in a sort of mixture i suppose of a more theological sense of the mind like in relation to the soul and a more psychiatric um, sense of the mind in relation to the brain but he says that in the mind there are kind of he calls them two powers the receiving and the producing powers of the mind and he says that or at least his argument is that you can only be doing one at a time right you can, your mind is either going to be passively receiving information or actively producing information and that if you're trying to do those both at once you're going to be worse at doing both of them you're going to be switching back and forth continuously a sort of mental micro multitasking i guess is the way i would say it um and so he talks about ways in which the mind can receive and that's this this sort of experience is what you get when you just look at something and you see it and you're receiving, you're not consciously noting information about it. Like in front of me, for example, there's a bookshelf, I'm looking at it, um, but I can sit here and quietly notice it, or I can sort of describe it to myself. I can say that book is mulberry colored and it is an anthology of literature next to it on the right. There's a white one with a red stripe. I can, I can list and name these things, or I can just see it and perceive it without sort of actively doing anything about it and so that the restful option is what he calls receiving the receiving power of the mind where i'm just sitting and i'm looking at the bookshelf i'm not asking anything of it it's not asking anything of me we're just here together as it were and so um in that chapter which is the first chapter i think where he talks about receiving i'm, tr I'm gonna try <laughs> probably not going to work out but i'm going to at least make some sort of attempt to give you page numbers slash like chapter numbers just in case you wanted to actually read the book yourself you can see where i'm getting all this from but fair warning i'm going to be kind of bad at that so <laughs> skipping over to page 17 ish it's in the second chapter i think 
where he talks about the power of receiving, he's describing this experience and he says, apply, um, he talks about each sense actually, before I get into it, he talks about how each sense has this receptive power. So the example I used with my bookshelf is sight, but this also works for sounds. You can just hear running water without really even consciously thinking about what it is. The sound is just noticed by you, right? Or you can feel something soft or hard or cold or see something shiny. Like all of your senses have this, you can smell something. And so he breaks down each sense. Um, But because my first example was sight, I'm just going to just grab a quote here from his chapter on how sight is a good example of the receiving power. So he says, Apply your sense of sight for about 10 or 20 seconds to a landscape, an object, a detail. Keep a tranquil or almost passive attention. Take your time. Consider the object before you and no other. Pay no attention to any other idea. Let the object enter within you as it is in itself, without any special effort. Look at it in the way a young child does. And so that quote, he goes through each sense and sort of walks you through an experience in which you would be receiving in this sense. But that quote in particular um, struck me just because when I read it, I realized I have not done that in a long time, or at least I've been trying to the last week. But um, it's not something, it's something I used to do. I remember when I was, when I was a kid back in the day, I definitely used to do this. I would go outside and I would just sit and I would look, I would lay on my back at the bottom of a tree and just look up into the branches and just see each one and trace it with my eye from the tree to the sky. Then I'd pick the next branch and trace that. And I've just gradually stopped those moments where you're just noticing the world around you. And that's something that um, this book is arguing is important. This is something that you need to be able to do in order to have that inner peace. In order to experience contemplation or meditation or any of those higher powers of, of your soul and of your mind working together, you need to be able to just rest, just to receive information, just to see things around you, to sort of turn off the constant inner stream of fragmented pieces of life that bombards you. So he has a a saying here, Ajay quote Ajis, which is just Latin for do what you do or do what you are doing. And that's his mantra for this process, just one action at a time, one thought at a time. Obviously, this isn't going to work in every minute of your life. Sometimes you're walking and talking or like, I don't know, having lunch with a friend and you're eating and noticing the wonderful food and also talking to your friend. That's not what this means. But having the ability to sometimes choose to just do one thing. I'm just reading a book or I'm just sitting here. I'm just looking at the stream. Just doing one thing at a time and especially in that receiving capacity where you're noticing that the world is coming into you. And then of course that brings us to the productive capacity which he talks about I in the same chapter I think. Okay, my note says page 19, so we're going to go with that. Um, but in this productive power, it flows very naturally from the receiving power and the idea of doing one thing at a time. So he recommends doing simple simple things like drawing exercises where you just trace a line on a piece of paper to make a design. But you're just following the one line that your pen or pencil is drawing. And he, he recommends like concentration for all the different senses as well, like auditory concentration where you notice all the noises around you 
and you're labeling them, you're thinking of them and accepting each one as it comes to you. And then you can be, you know, producing as well, where if you, you know, like go to the piano or if you have a piano around and just play one note and just notice how that sounds and really think about the sound of each one. So little things like that. I mean, he says, don't expect yourself to be able to concentrate ever. He says 20 minutes is sort of the maximum you should achieve, even if you practiced this. I feel like I've gotten to maybe two minutes, which is bad, <laughs> very bad actually, of perfect concentration where the only thought in your mind is the sound of a cricket or it's really easy to do this outside. You can just look at a piece of bark or something and just notice the color of it. And just the color is entering your senses and you're seeing it, right? That would be more receiving rather than producing. But that's really hard to do for a long period of time. So he says, don't be discouraged if you can't do this for a long time. You're kind of not supposed to. <laughs> um, but anyway, so then the I was thinking about how these this concept of receiving and producing is just very useful to think about when you're trying to evaluate just how you're doing, I guess. Like, are you able to rest? Like, are there times where you can just be receiving? Or is that very difficult for you? And then if so, why? Because that's something that, at least for me, um, really takes away from my peace of heart. If you just can't turn it off, like you're, it's the idea that you're always thinking something you're, you know, like it's late at night, you're like, oh, I need to go to sleep, I'm exhausted. So you get into bed, you're laying there, and you just think, you just keep thinking. And it just feels like you can't turn it off. But then eventually you fall asleep, but then you're dreaming. So you can't turn it off then either. And then you wake up exhausted from all this thinking and all this dreaming that you've been doing. Um, and actually, I think he mentions that exact phenomenon in the book, which, um, again, yeah. I turns out people have always done this. I'm not that special, which is not a surprise, but it's something to think about and to be aware of. Um, and then let me think later on on page like 39, 40, around page 40 somewhere, um, Father Arala talks about the will in, and the will in relation to all these things. So if you are aiming for peace of heart, there is will is certainly going to be involved. I mean, usually we think of, I don't know, it's hard because something like the heart is a very loose term, which has a cultural meaning. And then we've sort of mapped a theological or philosophical meaning onto it. In this case, it seems to me that in this book, in this context, anyway, the heart is kind of a combination of the will and choosing guided by the intellect. It's a, it's a sort of traditional Catholic theistic approach to the concept of the heart. Um, but because of this, this means that Father Arala talks about the will and he has a long discussion about it around page 40, if you're looking there, because um, he talks about what he calls false acts of the will and true acts of the will. Um, and he says the false acts of the will are the imperfect ones, not that they weren't things your will did, they're just He's saying they're not true deliberations on your part. So that would be something um, like impulses or vague wishes where you're like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if this happened? But it's not like you've actually decided anything or doing anything about it. It just sort of happens. And he says that going through life 
in this way, making these acts of will that are inferior and not using your power to reason and to think things out, this is what can also lead to a lack of peace of heart. So in addition to just being always producing and never giving your mind time to rest and just receive things, it's also a matter of your attitude of will, your habitual acts of will where you're either just not using your will and just sort of seeing what happens in the world or you're using it just based completely on impulse, you're not thinking anything through. Um, so then he brings him to what he calls true acts of the will and he quotes St. Ignatius quite a bit, as I would expect, I guess, from a Jesuit. He quotes St. Ignatius quite a bit in the, at this stage and he talks about deliberate determination. Um, but his discussion, although very interesting and worthwhile, reminded me of a part of the Summa in the first, the second part of the first part where St. Thomas talks about choice. Um, so I'm going to just cut over to St. Thomas because I think it's more fun. So in question 13, article 6 of the second part of the first part, um, St. Thomas says that choice is an act of a rational power. And that, I think, is to me, anyway, that seems to be what Father Arala is getting at in this section when he talks about the will. And when you're making these choices, it needs to be involving your reason. And then it reminds me, of course, as well about um, how St. Thomas talks about the process of choosing. And at this point, Aquinas also kind of mentions, it, it, I don't know, his discussion does lead, it reminds me, anyway, of the kinds of discussions that we have about peace of heart or peace of soul or however you want to talk about it um and so um, i mean i'm not going to go into too much of a tangent this is going to be way too long but you should all definitely read um that part of the summa where thomas talks about this and he talks about how in each within each choice within each human choice where you are using reason you are engaging in a human way using all your the powers of your soul there's going to be, I guess, like eight steps. I think I remember all of them. There's the simple volition, which is you kind of perceiving this thing and being like, yeah, that might be something I want. Um, and then you could create your intention, right? That you intend to pursue this thing. Then you have a period of deliberation and consent where you weigh up the options of how to achieve this. Uh, then you actually make a decision, usually in relation to what you deliberated about. Then there's election, which is where your will joins up with your intellect about what you decided was best to do, and is like, yes, we have made this decision, now I'm going to go for it. Then there's command, which is where you actually make yourself do the thing. Use, where you're actually using whatever needs to be done to make this action happen. Like, if I want to pick up a pencil, use would be me grabbing it with my hand. And then there's fruition, which is where the action's been completed and the will is receiving joy from this successful action. St. Thomas says there's always a feeling of joy at a good action properly chosen. Um, and so from that, I'm getting back from the diversion into the Summa. So undivert, um, back to the book Achieving Peace of Heart by Father Irala. Um, he does have a lot of really want, I love Father Irala's discussion of joy, which is something that I really wanted to talk about not because it is the most important part of the book, but because it is my favorite part. And so it's much, much later. It's near the end. There's a little chapter on happiness. It's page 160, 162. 
Hang on, I'm going to open my book to that page and see if I am right. Uh, page one. No, it's not there. Yes, it is page 160. It's called How to Be Happy. And I just wanted to kind of end on this note in this discussion. Um, I'm not going to repeat everything that Father Arala says here, but it is really beautiful and really helpful when you're thinking about achieving peace of heart and all of the components that go into that. Both the, I mean, obviously this is something that is going to be a gift that you're going to receive, which is what he's, he ta Father talks about in the book. Um, but the idea is that you can live in a way that makes it more easier for your heart to be at peace. You can live using your choice, your human power of choice. You can live using the powers of your soul and your mind in a way that will almost predispose you towards the joys of contemplation, of meditation, thereby achieving peace of heart. And so that whole discussion underlies this subsequent one. It's almost an addendum at the end of how to be happy. So Father Arala says, happiness is not found, but made. It does not depend on what you do not have, but on the use you make of what you do have. It is not something far from yourself, but the most intimate part of your being. It is the consciousness of a good, and the greater and more lasting this is, the greater will be your happiness. And so, he, I mean, it, that he goes on for quite a long time. He quotes Aristotle about this and how joy is tied to action. And then he talks about suffering in relation to joy. But I think it's just important to read this chapter. If you just read the beginning and kind of skimmed it, re actually read this one. Um, just because it ties together all of the different components and gives you that end goal, that end vision, the state of being in a place where you are able to experience joy and aware of it as well. A lot of it is to do with your consciousness of what's going on and your ability to respond to grace or what have you. So I guess that's kind of all I wanted to say about that. I talked myself into a bit of a corner as I usually do. Uh, but yeah, read that part. It's really good. So um, I think that's actually all I have for today. How long have I been talking? Oh, it's 20 minutes. Yeah, I talked too long. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode for what it was worth. I'll link to the, there's a copy of the book available on, um, what's it called? The Internet Archive, the Open Library. Um, so I'll link to that in the description on the blog. And I will also link to the part of the Sigma that I mentioned. If I, I might have to listen back to remember that. But yes, if you have feedback, questions, thoughts, you can always email me or text me. The email is hardlyflowering at gmail.com.